Welcome to Global Data Pod, JP Morgan's podcast on all issues affecting the global economy. I'm your host, Nora Santivani, and joining me today, I have Sajid Chinoy, Chief Economist for India, and Sonia Keller, Chief Economist for South Africa. Welcome, both of you. Hi, Nora. Hi, Nora. All right. Great. So today we're going to do a research wrap. And this was motivated by a special report that Sajid has recently published with his team on India's fiscal and debt outlook. And in that report, he highlights the importance of, you know, why growth is so crucial to the post-pandemic debt challenge in emerging markets. And as I was reading the report, I certainly felt that many of the themes and conclusions, you know, resonated more broadly in the EM space especially for countries with high public debt to GDP ratios like India, like Brazil, like South Africa. Um, but I think also in some countries where perhaps debt ratios are not so high, but fiscal deficits are just larger than they were before the pandemic. Uh, and that's kind of acting as a constraint on, for example, the central bank's ability to bring inflation down. So first off, I think for context, listeners should be aware that EM debt ratios are at well, have been near all-time highs uh, just after the pandemic. They shot up uh, very sharply uh, by nine percentage points. Um, and that, you know, is the single largest annual increase we've had in, um, in EM in, in the data that we have. Prior to that, EM debt ratios had been rising on average roughly at a one percentage point per year pace. So this was a really big increase in, in debt. Uh, some of that increase has been pared back in the last two years um, as, uh, you know, as growth recovered, as inflation uh, surged, um, fiscal deficits narrowed a bit. But I think that dynamics from here onward look quite challenging and could become more challenging, right, as growth uh, slows down, as inflation slows down and fiscal deficits uh, remain wider. Just to be clear, I'm not implying here that EM governments were profligate. So that wasn't really the reason for this big increase in debt. And many of them actually provided fairly measured policy supports uh, during the pandemic, uh, despite very incomplete recoveries in GDP. And I think that was due to the lessons EMs learned during earlier crises, fears that you know, greater stimulus would spark instability, loss of credibility, and so on. Um, but in some cases, this fiscal restraint actually resulted in weaker growth and worsened debt dynamics. So either way, rightly or wrongly, I think we are sitting here, you know, three years post-crisis with a large buildup in debt and also GDP levels that haven't recovered their pre-pandemic potential paths. So with that intro out of the way, um, let's try and understand a little bit better what's happened here in the last couple of years. And I think an obvious place to start would be to get a better understanding of how public debt really evolves and you know, what are the main variables here that matter for the, for the evolution of, of debt. Sajid, do you want to guide us through that? Thanks, Nora. You've set, the, you've set the problem up very well. Well, as you alluded to, I think there are three key variables that matter for the evolution of public debt. Um, one is the primary deficit. So this is uh, the fiscal deficit net of any interest payments. Um, uh, because you know interest payments are already predetermined, it's the primary deficit really that's under the policymakers' control. So that's a really key variable. But two other variables matter apart from the primary deficit, which is the relationship between uh, you know borrowing costs 
uh, on your debt, nominal borrowing costs, and nominal GDP growth. Uh, and I think implicit in all of that, one has to look at what the maturity of this debt is, um, because there was a sense um, that uh, you know interest rates will matter a lot for the evolution of debt, with concerns that in some cases financial repression could be used uh, to make debt more sustainable down the line, which would interfere with central bank mandates. Um, or the opposite concerns were that the fact that nominal interest rates have gone up so much, uh, you know, because of normalization post-pandemic, because EMs are forced to follow what advanced economies are going to do will uh, impinge on debt dynamics quite meaningfully. So interest rates matter. But I would just caveat that uh, with the understanding that the terms, the, the maturity of the debt matters a lot. So in India's case, for example, the average maturity, maturity of, of the central government debt is 11 years, which, which, is, which is quite long. And that the government's done well to extend that maturity. So you're not faced with rollover risk every few years. But what that also means is, Changes in interest rates take a long time to filter through uh, mm -hmm. into the debt stock. And so there is a risk here that we may overestimate what the impact of either in rising interest rates are or financial repression is in contributing to debt sustainability. But mm -hmm. with that caveat, what matters crucially is what is the relationship between normal interest rates and nominal GDP growth? As Nora alluded to, uh, you know, nominal GDP growth has got a big boost because of very high inflation the last two years, and that's helped their dynamics. But I think the challenge going forward for emerging markets, as in the case with advanced economies as well, is that you now are in a situation where you're, you're seeing, in some cases, meaningful disinflation. So you don't get that, you know, that inflationary tailwind to bring debt down. Interest rates may well stay high for long, um, given where the, the Fed is. Uh, Nora pointed to the fact that growth is has been the recoveries have been incomplete uh, in many emerging markets. The deficits are still large. The, the fiscal response was clearly not as expansive in EMs, but in many cases starting points were higher. So even though the 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 impulse in the pandemic wasn't much larger, the net result is deficits and public sector borrowing requirements are still high. So if you put this all together, um, and that's why we wrote this report, that uh, the harder slog of sustaining debt. Um, and, and I would just define debt sustainability in a very minimalistic fashion, which is that a sufficient condition for intertemporal you know, uh, unsustainability is a constantly rising debt to GDP ratio. So we take a very minimalistic assumption in India. What will it take just to stabilize debt at these levels before gradually bringing it down? Okay, so why don't we tackle that question straight away? Um, you highlighted the importance of uh, the interest rate growth differential R minus G. Uh, so what does that look like for India? To what extent is it going to become less favorable uh, going forward? And what does that mean for the debt to GDP ratio? And then a natural sort of follow-on question from that would be, what does that then mean for the primary balance and in terms of what the fiscal needs to do? But let's start first with the interest rate growth dynamic. To what extent is that actually going to worsen the debt dynamics here in the next couple of years? So that's going to create headwinds because if you look typically at uh, you know what India's GDP deflator has been, uh, it's been between three and three and a half percent over the last decade. Now, the last two years, because of higher inflation, the deflator has gone up to 9%. And what that has meant is that along with the economic recovery, 
has meant that nominal GDP growth has averaged almost 17% over the last two years. We know the weighted average cost of um, servicing debt in India is around 7% or thereabouts. So there was a huge favorable tailwind where borrowing costs were about 7%, nominal GDP uh, is close to 17%. Now, all of that's going to change going forward. We we expect that, you know, especially with the commodity correction and the commodity disinflation, that the wholesale price in index in India, which has a key role in the GDP deflator, uh, you know, is either going to be negative or, 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 or very modestly positive. And you'll have a situation where the GDP deflator, in our estimates, comes back down to three, three and a half percent. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you know, if you then add market, uh, different market participants, the government, the IMF have different growth estimates, but our sense is nominal GDP may well be in the nine to 10% range. Um, and so if you've got nominal GDP in the nine to 10% range, uh, 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 you know, uh, and uh, borrowing costs have risen upwards of seven, that R minus G differential gets uh, uh, much less favorable going forward. And mm-hmm. so the harder slog of bringing um, um, uh, making debt sustainable comes down to two variables. One is, what is the pace of fiscal consolidation? Can I reduce the primary deficit faster? Uh, and the second is, well, you know, can we boost real GDP growth? Can we increase potential growth? Mm-hmm. Now, okay. Just, yeah, I, we, we, let me just bring in Sonia quickly before we, we address those other issues. Um, so R minus G, you mentioned, is becoming um, less negative, but it's still negative. Um, there are countries in EM though where R minus G is actually positive. <laughs> so your your debt service costs are exceeding your growth rate. Um, and I think Sonia, this is a probably a good opportunity for you to jump in and highlight just how much of a challenge uh, South Africa faces faces in terms of its interest rate growth differential dynamic and the pressures that's putting on debt there. Yeah, sure. So we will be more than happy with 95 to 10% nominal GDP growth, uh, let me assure you. And rather, South Africa has been facing a situation already prior to, to the pandemic, where there is an interest rate growth gap of around 2% on the positive side. Uh, that means while borrowing costs formerly around 7.2%, a nominal GDP has averaged 5.5%. This is contributing about one percentage point per year to a rise in a debt-to-GDP ratio. But in addition to that, there are also associated stock flow adjustments, uh, funding cost-related adjustments. And so actually, overall, the interest rate growth gap gap probably adds around two percentage points per year to the debt-to-GDP ratio in South Africa. Um, Mm. So those dynamics recently, you know, thankfully we've had a positive uh, commodity uh, terms of trade effect in SA, but um, more generally, um, recently these dynamics um, are worsening, intensifying because real growth probably this year is around zero or even slightly negative. Okay, yeah. So what I'm hearing from both of you is that, uh, you know, growth obviously matters a lot. Um, it's not that interest rates don't matter, but the changes in interest rates take a longer time to filter filter through to debt service costs. So really, trend growth here seems to matter a lot, and it has a disproportionate influence on medium-term debt, not debt dynamics. I, I actually recall a note that we wrote on this a few years back, and there we showed that for 
EMs, on average, the increase in debt ratios that were associated with low growth is roughly double that of the, the increase that's associated with wider fiscal deficits. So it, it's really highlighting the, the, the significance of growth in terms of affecting the, the more medium term debt dynamics. So in terms of the numbers that both of you put on R minus G and the extent to which it's becoming less favorable, that then shifts the focus a little bit. First of all, the growth issues we'll address a bit later, but Next, maybe we could talk a little bit about the primary balances, the fiscal deficits, and how much scope there is here to consolidate on the fiscal side to offset this adverse change in the interest rate growth differential. Sajid, do you want to start off on India? Sure. So, you know, um, despite the fact that the interest rate uh, you know, growth differential is still negative in the sense that nominal GDP growth will still be higher than interest rates, uh, the, the reason why that's not sufficient is because primary deficits uh, are quite large. Uh, we're looking at a consolidated primary deficit of close to you know, 4% of GDP uh, before the start of this year. Now, to be fair, the government's got a, uh, I would say, credible medium-term consolidation plan where they want to reduce that deficit from 3.8% closer to 1.5%. Uh, um, and I think that's the right pace of doing it, but it, it kind of brings to four the more fundamental trade-offs that emerging markets will face. Because on the one hand, to the extent that uh, these economic recoveries are incomplete, uh, to the extent that there is some level of permanent scarring, you know, um, uh, expenditure obligations are going to go up. In India's case, the government's making a big push on public investment and infrastructure, uh, recognizing that the private sector will take time to uh, you know, join the CapEx cycle. And that's a multi-year process when you build infrastructure, and you've got to then continue that process for several years. But in addition to that, as, as is the case in many EMs, you know, social obligations are going to go up. Uh, more health spending, we know, is necessary from the pandemic. Uh, more educational spending will be necessary to perhaps mitigate the learning loss from the pandemic. So there's no shortage of areas where governments will have to um, spend more till the private sector fully uh, gets engaged in, in, in investment, which will take time given the macro uncertainty that's governing the world. Um, and so the, 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 the trade-off is going to be, how do you, on the one hand, increase some of these obligations for health, for education, for infrastructure, for public investment, and at the same time, you know, bring the primary deficit down, which is why in our report, we sp speak about the importance of the revenue side. That, you know, at least in the case of India, a tax to, raising tax to GDP harnessing ways to mobilize more revenues uh, becomes really crucial to be able to achieve both objectives. That yeah, you can mitigate sure. the scarring through government expenditure and still bring debt down. Yeah, that's right. So, so Sajid, if, you had, if we were to put a number on it, so with your growth and interest rate assumptions that you have as a baseline, what, what is the sort of primary balance that India needs to achieve in order just to keep debt to GDP at its current level? So, so Nara, we flip the question around. We essentially, uh, we take the primary deficit as uh, consistent with the government's um, consolidation path. So the government has a medium-term plan. Mm -hmm. and we say, well, let's assume the central government sticks to the medium-term plan. Remember, this is consolidated debt, so we have to look at states. Uh, sure. States have, in a, in a sense, over-consolidated. So we assume states remain where they are and the center sticks to its plan. If that were to happen, 
then the primary deficit goes down from 3.8% to 1.5%. Okay, and is that is that is that adjustment is that feasible? You think is that a feasible adjustment that the government has set out? I think so. I think that's feasible. Okay. But the last point I'll make is even with that adjustment from three point eight to one and a half, um, what you need is to stabilize debt at you know eighty two percent. Nominal GDP growth needs to be closer to nine and a half percent. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you said in real terms that what would that imply for India? About six six and a half percent. Six and a half, which is relative to your forecast, it's not far off, right? It's a little bit higher, though. Maybe it's higher than our forecast. It's higher than our forecast. It's possible to do certainly in the coming years, but it'll take some doing. Yeah. Okay, Sonia, and how, what does the arithmetic look like in South Africa in terms of the kind of primary um, fiscal adjustment that is needed to stabilize debt, and also how you know how re realistic are the government's targets here? Yeah, good question. So the, the primary balance averaged around uh, minus 1% pre-pandemic. Um, currently, it's sitting around zero, which seems to be looking good. But that is, of course, underpinned by the TOT support uh, that is still benefiting us at the moment. So broadly speaking, in the next one to three years, we expect a primary balance between zero and minus 1%. But in order to stabilize uh, the debt ratio would really need a primary surplus of around two percentage points of, of GDP. That means we need between two and three percentage points of GDP um, fiscal adjustments. That fiscal adjustment attempts were initially made uh, pre-pandemic on the revenue side. Um, they've yielded uh, increasingly less, uh, less supportive results. Uh, and therefore, on the eve of the pandemic, we switched to focusing on expenditure trimming. Um, there's been some progress, maybe around half percentage point of GDP or perhaps 0.7 percentage points of GDP in containing the wage bill. Uh, but, but the issue really is that other pressures have risen. For example, uh, the support to state on enterprises. Um, and the bottom line is, even from here, we need about further two and a half percentage points uh, fiscal adjustment. Yeah, so quite a quite a big adjustment required there, Sonia. And I imagine with the low growth environment that um, South Africa faces, this is is going to be very challenging. So how how can governments here balance these debt sustainability challenges with the social and growth obligations that they have at the same time? Are there any easy fixes, low-hanging fruit, well, what's needed here? Uh, Sajid, do you want to start on India? How, how do you think this can be tackled? Is there a straightforward way without hurting um, growth? Well, well, I think the most straightforward way would be to do asset monetization. So India has, mm -hmm. in, the, in the last few years, kind of uh, tried to go on this path where you know, there are a lot of public sector assets and uh, you want to either privatize that or you want to monetize uh, existing assets, but that's easier said than done. I mean, that would be the more uh, the, the, the easiest way to do it uh, because then, uh, you know, that's not contractionary, uh, uh, you know, and you're still, and you're still creating um, uh, revenue resources. But I think on a more fundamental basis, this will have to go back to first principles, which is direct tax reform. So we've actually had an indirect tax reform in India, the goods and services tax, uh, and that clearly needs to be streamlined. Um, the GST rate today is still much below the revenue neutral rate. So the hope is that after next year's election, uh, you know, we get more reform on that 
GST rates go back to revenue neutral rates. Uh, you you reform, uh, you, you make the process easier, you collapse the slabs. But the short point we also make in the report is India's ratio of indirect taxes to direct taxes is actually much higher than emerging markets. And that's, you know, as we know, indirect taxes are regressive. So what we're actually batting for is in the coming years, we see more direct tax reforms as a way of increasing tax to GDP. Okay. Uh, and and in South Africa, Sonia, any any easy fixes to the current set of challenges? What's the most likely solution here in terms of the steps that the governments can take? Well, the, the most obvious step that we can't avoid is to proceed with much greater speed on electricity and transportation reform, invariably to boost growth. Um, currently, that is quite difficult to consolidate yourself out of the fiscal problems um, if you have growth at around zero. But beyond that, uh, there are gains in tax administrations. These have been trickling in, and I think there's probably more to go. We can consolidate our tax expenditures. Um, and in the end, uh, even though uh, authorities for now are not considering a hike in tax rates, in the end, I think that's the most likely path towards some level of sustainable primary balance, but it will be difficult to avoid good increases in direct as well as indirect taxation. Okay, so governments need to spend a bit less, tax a bit more, reforms, reforms, reforms. So maybe a lot of different growth. things. I think, I think the key is potential growth has to go up in many of these economies. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Sajid, yeah, you need the, hit the nail on the head, right? We've, we've said so many times, right? EM is still sitting here with level of GDP around four and a half percent below its pre-pandemic potential path in India. I think it's six percent below in South Africa. It's something like five percent below. So this is still very much an incomplete recovery. There's a very strong need to close this growth gap, I think, to generate jobs, improve the pandemic-induced scarring that has taken place. So uh, my sense is very much that supporting growth is, you know, is going to be the way forward, but it certainly needs to be in a done, done in a way which um, you know, is prudent. Um, so, I mean, maybe a last angle to take here would be what we've referred to as senior address, the inflation tax as an obvious fix to uh, reduce the real value of debt. Uh, of course, we've had this big surge in inflation in the past two years, and that has had tremendous economic costs, but it also came with some benefits, right? So it, it reduced the debt burden uh, through an increase in tax revenues, something we'd estimated inflation tax revenues of nearly 2% of GDP. So it was pretty significant. Now, um, you know, those revenues are now probably going to be going down as inflation comes down. But is this a feasible strategy just to run with higher inflation? I'm being slightly provocative here. Obviously, the answer is probably no. But do either of you have any comments on whether that might be a way to improve this otherwise unpleasant debt arithmetic inflated away? Nora, I think there's one lesson we've learned in the last three years, not just emerging market central banks who've known this lesson for two decades, but advanced economy central banks is this is a very dangerous game to play. Once the genie's out of the bottle, it's, it's very hard to put it yeah. back in. And I think it bears repetition that there may be a short run trade off between growth and inflation, but we know for sure there is no long run trade off. Mm -hmm. So if we run with higher inflation, you know, inflation expectations go up, macro uncertainty goes up, that's going to hurt 
potential growth, the very thing that we just discussed, we need more of. So I'm Absolutely. not in the camp that that's an experiment that EM Central Bank should be flirting with at all. Absolutely, yeah. Whatever you gain in the short term, you lose in the medium term. Well, it will push up yields. Uh, there's a lot of spending as well as indexed, right, to inflation. So let's not forget that spending also goes up and inflation also hits the most vulnerable population. So not a good idea at all. All right. So just to wrap things up, you know, legacy of the pandemic has been a worsening in fiscal and debt positions in emerging markets. In many cases, that has uh, come hand in hand with weaker growth, weaker trend growth. Uh, if governments can boost growth, they can achieve a better set of fiscal trade-offs. But the level of debt itself can be unconstrained on what policymakers can do. So higher debt is actually a source of weaker potential growth in some cases. India and South Africa both sound like they have a very challenging paths ahead. Uh, South Africa may be uh, starting from a slightly lower debt level, but it sounds like they have a higher hurdle to stabilize debt without a larger fiscal consolidation uh, due to the more adverse R minus G. So that was my sort of one minute wrap up. Um, does that sound good to both of you? They've had a tough time in the pandemic and this will require a full court press. It'll mean boosting potential growth, uh, raising revenues, and still undertaking the important expenditures you have to, uh, 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 you know, in a post-pandemic world. So it's going to be a very delicate trade-off that they'll have to strike. Absolutely. Okay. And on that note, we will conclude here. Uh, thank you to both of you for joining. And thank you for our listeners uh, for tuning in to the Global Data Pod Research Wrap. We hope to continue the conversation on the next episode.